Sorry, there's no Doritos in here. <laughs> I know that's what you're hoping for, but sorry. Something else in here. You see, uh, last Friday, well, you know what? We should probably pray before I get into this. Let's, let's just pray. Um, Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it guides our life. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, guide our life by it today, that we would honor you in what we say, what we do, what, the way we think, Lord. May, may that be honoring to you. Be, and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would guide us into the truth. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and in truth. And, uh, Lord, that you would use me to bring a, a message to us today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, on uh, Friday, I think it was the other Friday, two, like a week ago, Friday, uh, there was uh, the school school was closed because of the strike. So Debbie invited all the kids to come to church. So you know, I I went into the kids' room, and lo and behold, I found myself playing with Lego. I hadn't played in Lego for like a decade, <laughs> I miss it, you know, like, and I'm building stuff with the kids, and, and, and then, you know, the kids are pretending to shoot me, so I built a gun out of the Lego, and then, and then Debbie told me off, because you're not allowed to build guns, apparently, and so I didn't know the rules, but, <laughs> but uh, I had a blast, and, um, you know, while, during the course of that event, I heard Debbie call out the golden rule of Lego. Does anybody know what the golden rule of Lego is? Don't step on them. That's the number two rule. <laughs> the number one rule in Lego is don't destroy what you didn't build. Right? Isn't that the number one rule? I mean, we had that rule in our house. If you didn't build it, you can't destroy it. If you, if you built it, you can destroy it. But if you didn't build it, no way. And so that was a rule in our house. And so I, I went downstairs and I, I grabbed the bucket of Lego. Now, what you will find in this bucket is not a whole bunch of little pieces of Lego. You will find cool trucks already built. We don't know who built it, so we can't take it apart, right? Because the rule, right? And uh, little boats, cool ships and, and spacecraft from Star Wars. I mean, oh, okay, this stuff's like... Got a lot of dust on it, but I mean, you can dig through this pile and find all kinds of cool little machines that were designed and built by my children. And they're not destroyed because we have the rule. You can't destroy what you didn't build. And, and nobody knows who built them anymore, so I guess they're going to last forever uh, in the box. Um, and you know, these creations, they take a lot of work. And you know, it didn't take long when we heard sometime when our kids were three or four years old and they were building something, and then all of a sudden you hear like, you're so dead, right? Because <laughs> one kid is destroying the other kid's stuff. Either became jealous and didn't, didn't like what was happening or was pretending it was an airplane and crashed it into the ground and poof, Lego pieces everywhere, and they got upset with each other and uh, not happy. And you know what? I think God feels the same way about his creation and what he built. I don't think he likes having other people destroying it, you know. You know, I think that that kids love Lego because of God's design of kids. God has placed his image on us. And part of the you know what God is? God is a creator. 
God is an amazing creator. I mean, just look outside. You look at the trees, the forests, the the birds, the animals. I mean, you check it all out. It's amazing design. And and it's so intricate and so different. It, like they say, every snowflake of the trillions and, and whatever number of snowflakes, they, they say that everyone's different from the other one. Every human of the seven billion of us, they're all different. We all have different DNA. Like, you know, with a people, we like to build everything the same, you know, like a Honda Accord's a Honda Accord, and it's going to be the same as that one and that one. Well, different color maybe, but other than that, we're all the same. But God designs everything differently. And it's amazing. He's a creative God. And every evening you get to see a new sunset. Different style, different painting in the sky. And God's just creative. And guess what? He's put that creativity in us. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now notice it says rule over, not destroy. <laughs> okay? Uh, Christians should be the first people concerned about the ecology and concerned about our world and rushing to preserve it because God put us in charge. He says, you're in charge here. Mind it well. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So when God created people in his image, he, cre- he created them to be creative, just as he is. I love to create. I, my favorite thing, I think, is like, well, maybe not my favorite thing. I like a lot of things. But one of the things I love to do is fabricate. I love building stuff. And, and then, you know, it's cool when you can take a bunch of junk and turn it into something really useful. I do it like weekly. Last night I was building something for, for, the, uh, for the lights. I love that, you know? And it's, it's part of the creative nature that God designed us with. Um, but here's the deal. When God was making the earth, on the first day he made light, right? And he said it was good. The light was good. And on the second day, he made the dry ground, the land, and the sea. And he said, oh, that's good. He saw, it says, God saw that it was good. And the land produced vegetation, plants, third day. Uh, and God saw that it was good. This, this phrase keeps getting repeated over and over. God saw, and it was good. God saw, it was good. Have you ever, your kids ever built something and then... God said, hey, look, look what I made. Look what I made. It's almost like God's doing the same thing. He's going, hey, that's good. <laughs> I did all right there. Let's see what tomorrow brings. And it's good again. Wild animal, night and day, and then creatures of the sea, and then wild animals. And he keeps making things. And then you get down to verse 26, and then it talks about him making man in his own image. And every time God is saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. But after he made God, made man in his own image, what does he say? It's very good. Okay? Next slide. He says it's very good in, in verse 31. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. I think God was proud of what he had made. He created the starry host. He created the oceans, the rivers, the, the mountains, it's all beautiful. And then he did, made the crowning 
his crowning piece, mankind. And he says, oh, that's very good. That's very good. It's the pinnacle of his creative work. <clears throat> and everything he made, he made was declared good. And then God not only declared humankind very good, he did something else with humans that he didn't do for the rest of the creation. God says that he blessed them in verse uh, 27, 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. So they're different from the rest of creation. And so I think this morning's message is, if you didn't make it, don't break it. Okay? <laughs> so, so if you didn't make hu- humans, don't kill them. Basically, we're looking at the sixth commandment today. You shall not murder. And uh, basically, we didn't make other people. Even the children that we, we, we've had, we had, had, we had a part in it, but we didn't make them. God is the one who made our children. And he used us, sure, absolutely. We, we are used by God to create, procreate. It's part of his design. But ultimately, God is the designer and the builder. And so God doesn't want anyone to destroy his created work. And that's why he gives this command, do not murder. Um, and in Noah's day, God said, for each man to, from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he has made man. You see how the, the value of the human race is placed on the fact that the human race is God's pinnacle of creation and, and we reflect God. We, we, we're an image of God. What does it actually mean to be an image of God? Basically, when I looked it up, the word image in the, in the dictionary, and image basically is a, mostly it's referring to a, a, a something that looks like something else. So when you take your picture, what do you call it? I, I got an image of you. Uh, you sent it via email, you know, and you, you got the image. It's a picture of you. Um, when you make a graven image, that's like an idol that you've, you've made to look like something, a bird or some, something. And that's the idea. We often say he's a spitting image of his father, right? Looks just like his dad. Um, but does that mean that God create us, created us to be, like, are, are we a representation of the physical aspects of God, like what God looks like? Um, is, that, is that what it means? Um, well, the Bible is pretty clear that God is a spirit. And the Bible is also very clear that God cannot be seen. Last time I checked, I could see myself. Last time I checked, I could see you too. So clearly, we're not invisible. Because if we were in the image of God and it was just referring to what was visible, we'd all be invisible. That would be kind of weird. Uh, so obviously, it can't mean that. Um, so I looked up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and I found nine different meanings for the word image. Most of them have to refer to like a picture or a a cast image of something that we all are aware of. But the fourth definition, if you can have the next slide, is is exact likeness or semblance. And and it's interesting because Merriam-Webster uses the Bible as the reference to what this means. And they, they quote... Uh, Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. In other words, 
there's something more than just the, the visual here going on. This is talking about the exact likeness. The likeness of God is somehow in us. And so uh, I've looked it up with scholars and, and biblical scholars. What does this mean? And basically, scholars have come up with a, a bunch of things that basically separate us from the other aspects of creation. The beasts of the field and all those, they don't have the image of God on them. And so what is the image of God when it refers to that in Genesis chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 27? Well, we are, you see, we are like God because we have the ability to reason. God is a reasoning being, and we are reasoning beings. There aren't other beings that are reasoning on this earth in creation. There are other beings that are reasoning in heaven and who are spirits, but on earth, the only physical beings that are reasoning beings are humans. We have the ability to think, to reflect, decide. Decision-making is an amazing ability. We have the ability to feel and know things. In other words, we have emotions. Emotions are part of God's design. See, God has emotions. If you read through the Bible, you, you'll find that God was angry sometimes. God was loving. God is uh, merciful, and, and he has uh, emotions of, of um, uh, compassion, kindness, these kinds of emotions. <clears throat> God has designed us to feel love and hate and sorrow and fear and joy and peace. All these things, these are the image of God on us. And we have a moral sense. No other part of creation has a moral sense like we do. We, we can choose between what is right and what is wrong. And we inherently know this through our conscience. And God has designed that and built that into us. It's part of his image that he's put on us. We are creative. I've already talked about that. We like to make things. We are relational. God is relational and so we, he's made us, he, God li has lived forever in the Trinity, always in relation. Uh, God refers to himself as we, oftentimes. And so there's a sense that he lives in community, and so he's designed, and he's put that image in us, and we live in community, and we communicate with one another, and we fellowship with one another. There's love. Now, obviously, we are just the image of God, not God himself. You know, we don't have all of the divine character living in us the way it dwelt in Jesus, but we do have the characteristics of God. We're obviously not God. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts, uh, from Isaiah. <clears throat> Should be on the screen. Uh, so these are... So we have to realize that... Just because we have the image of God doesn't make us God. Uh, I, I hope that was obvious, but <laughs> wanted to make that point. Um, but the point is that God has made us with incredible abilities, quite apart from the rest of creation. We alone can be said to have been made in the image of God. So we remember about the rule. If you didn't make it, don't break it. So that's why God has made this command not to murder, not to kill other people. God has a vested interest in his highest creational order. And he says, do not kill. 
Um, now, the King James Bible translates the Hebrew in, into the word do not kill. Kind of an unfortunate translation because that's the one we end up getting stuck with for 400 years. Um, but really, it's really talking about slaying or murdering on purpose. It's, there are times when God does sanction killing, when there's people who need to be judged. Uh, and so there's sanction uh, like um, capital punishment is something that in the Old Testament God, um, God okayed. And there was, there was the ability to defend yourself. If there was a warring nation that came and, and was trying to invade your country, you could defend yourself and kill people. And that wasn't considered breaking the sixth command. Um, but the interesting thing is a lot of wars are breaking the sixth command. Because, in fact, they come from the same place that murder comes from. Jealousy, greed, wanting what isn't yours, and uh, pillaging uh, is, is just that. It's taking what someone, belongs to someone else by killing them. And so these are all things that are, in fact, uh, uh, not allowed in this command. So the command is specifically referring to taking the life of another for whatever reason. And the reason that you can't do that is because the life of other people are made in the image of God. And now, some of you, and I can tell by the boredom that I see in the room, (laughs) you're all like, yeah, yeah, Pastor, we know. You're not supposed to kill. None of us are going out tomorrow and going to kill anybody. Why, why waste a whole sermon on this topic? I mean, come on. We live in Canada. The, the murder rate is like 1.5 per 100,000 people. Like, we're one of the good countries. Like, you can end now, okay? Just send us home. We're, we're done here. Because, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a lot of times when we think of this command. We're just, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, but the interesting rate, the interesting thing is I compared this, uh, well, well not, not that slide yet. I compared this number with uh, other countries. And uh, El Salvador has the highest murder rate in the world. It's 61 people per 100,000. So like 40 times higher than Canada. But if you define murder differently, or killing differently, if you define Taking the life of someone who bears the image of God, then Canada's rate is 375 per 100,000. Four times higher than El Salvador. And you're saying, well, how's that? How, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the killing of children before they're born. In this country, that's just normal. That's just, oh yeah, that happens every day. Today in, in the Ottawa hospitals, there, there will probably be about a dozen children whose lives will end today, here in our city. That's the reality of this country. And so don't just brush it off and say, oh yeah, yeah, we understand this. No, we don't. Our country doesn't. And God calls upon us as citizens of this country to be a light in a dark place. This is a dark place where people don't understand the image of God on the unborn child. And you might say, well, maybe there isn't the image of God. Maybe the image of God happens at birth. And I would like to say, well, that would be kind of interesting if God delivered his image 
uh, through the birth canal. Does that make sense, really? Not really. Um, in South Dakota, the leaders put together a, a task force, force to decide once and for all whether when life begins, the life of a human. And so they brought in scientists and politicians and all kinds of people. And they had a panel of 17 people that were making the decisions. And when the scientists brought their information, um, there were a lot of upset people. And the, the key issue that the task force focused on was they identi included identifying when human life begins. Human life examining any physical and mental health risks associated with abortion. And this is what the task force found, that the new recumbent DNA technologies indisputably prove that the unborn child is a whole human being from the moment of fertilization and that all abortions terminate the life of a living human being and that the unborn child is a separate human patient under the care of modern medicine. Evidence showed that the embryo is a whole separate, unique, living human being. And common sense tells us this, right? I mean, every human on the face of the planet has DNA, and everyone's DNA is different from everyone else's. That's how we call it DNA fingerprinting. And you can tell every, everyone is different. And guess what? The embryo is a different, has different DNA. So even the, the police force would call it a different person. Even while it is in its, his or her mother's womb, it is, has its own DNA. It's different. And even though the blood is shared and so the DNA gets mixed up, it is still different DNA that is growing in the womb. Uh, pretty pretty <laughs> solid case that the medical world has proven conclusively that, in fact, there is another human being growing there. And yet, uh, our world, and Canada in particular, and states, and very many places around the world, have closed their eyes to this obvious fact. And I say, no, it's not her body. Uh, it's growing inside her body, but it's not like a tumor. It's a different person there, growing there. And I'm sure that in the crowd this side, there are people who disagree with me, and uh, God will figure that out. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that in a crowd this size, there are some who have had an abortion. So I'm sensitive to those issues. And I'm also concerned uh, for people who have, who have struggled under this burden. And believe me, the people I've talked with, it's a great burden when they've had an abortion. And, and some of you may have recommended an abortion to someone else. And when you understand what the image of God is, then it becomes very hard to subscribe to abortion, no matter how you look at it. But you know what? I want to share something with you that from my heart. God, God commands us not to kill people because of his image. 
But God is also a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and sharing his love with thousands. You know, in the very beginning of the Bible, we have the story of Adam and Eve, creation, and then one of the very first stories in chapter 4 of Genesis, we have the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain uh, was a gardener, a farmer. Abel was a, a shepherder. And Cain's sacrifices didn't, didn't seem to be acceptable to God, whereas Abel's were. And he got mad. And he killed his brother. And then God comes looking for him. And he, he says, and, and so God and, and, and Cain were on a first-name basis. And God said, Cain, where are you? And, and, and I'm here. And where's your brother? And Cain says, what, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Lie. Don't lie to God. That's kind of a bad idea. (laughs) And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. And you know what? I believe that there are a lot of people who have experienced abortion, who have gone through with it, and they feel like Cain did. They feel God's judgment. They feel God saying, What have you done? The blood cries from the ground to me. And they feel that very intensely. And they feel the curse of God on their, hand, on their life. And I think they often say, would say, the, my punishment is more than I can bear. Uh, the people I've talked with, very traumatized by what they, they did. But the Lord said to Cain, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. In other words, the Lord just didn't write Cain off. The Lord was merciful to Cain. And yes, there was judgment, but there was also mercy. Cain lived in the Old Testament. We now have the experience of getting to know Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and washes all our sins away. And so if you've had this trauma of of giving up your child to abortion, um, God wants you to know that he forgives you, that he died so that that sin could be forgiven. And he welcomes you back into fellowship. And he doesn't want you to be a restless wanderer. He doesn't want you to be burdened by this sin all your life. But he calls you to recognize that it's buried beneath the blood of Christ. And it's been made whole again. You know, there are others in the Bible who went through similar experiences as Cain. Uh, Moses, he's the one who wrote, do not kill. But he also killed a man, murdered a man. He might have done it in defense of another. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the, the Egyptian was beating the Israelite to death, but Moses killed him. We don't know if it was premeditated or what. 
David is another person. David's called a man after God's own heart, and yet he murdered Uriah and then married his widow. First he committed adultery with, his, with the widow. So God's grace overcomes all sin. And sometimes people say to me, well, can a murderer get into heaven? And I say, well, the blood of Jesus Christ pays for all sins, including murder, including abortion, including everything. But it needs to be received through grace. It needs to be acknowledged. And so Jesus ushered in a new era, an era of grace, where all of our sins are washed away, and we are all equal before God, equally sinful, equally washed, equally cleansed, equally saints. We're all saints before God. And this is a new era. It's an amazing thing that we can have this freedom from our sins. But it's interesting. Because of that, God no longer says it's all about what you do outwardly. You know, when you murder someone, it's very obvious. You you did it and you can be tried and found guilty. But now Jesus comes along and says, now that you've been freed from all sins, I'm going to put my spirit in you And that's going to change your behavior. You're no longer going to be bound to the law. You're no longer going to be, oh boy, I can't murder. I really want to murder that guy, but I'm not allowed to. If I do, someone will find out. No, God's going to put his spirit in your heart so you don't even get angry with your brother. You You lose the sense of anger. You lose the sense of hatred. It simply doesn't exist because it's not there in your heart. It's gone because God's Spirit is there. This is what Jesus said. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says uh, to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of the, hell, of the fire of hell. Now, I know a lot of Christians who read this passage and then just turn around and say, well, you know, so-and-so's an idiot. And I kind of go like, uh, haven't you read Matthew 5, verse 21, 22? And they go, oh, I didn't call him a fool. I called him an idiot. <laughs> well, guess what? Or, or maybe moron, right? Oh, he's, just a, he's such a moron. And, but guess what? The word in the Greek, morano, <laughs> really should be translated moron, not fool. Okay? Really, it doesn't matter the word. These are, these are Greek words that are being used by Jesus or Aramaic, and we're not even sure which words. When they're translated, they, they basically mean that you d- are despising someone for their lack of intelligence, whatever word you're using. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying you're in danger of going to hell because of that. And in, in, uh, in 1 John 3, verse 15, it says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus is saying pretty much the same thing. And you know, no murderer has eternal life in him. Well, if you don't have eternal life, where are you going? You're going to hell. So this is a pretty like, whoa, Jesus, really? Let's show of hands, how many of you are going to hell? Because <laughs> you said, you idiot. <laughs> okay, I didn't see any hands. Well, I'm glad that you know that you're not going to hell because of it. You're in danger of going to hell because all sin ends in hell. 
And this is why Christians ought not to slander and call down and call their brothers and sisters names because it's not in our nature. Because we have the nature of Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about. See, he said, okay, there used to be this law, don't, don't murder. But, you know, in my kingdom, eh, that law, like, it, same reaction as all of you, bored to death when we're talking about murder, because it, it doesn't affect us. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's, in my kingdom, the, the line is anger. I'm upset with you. You're so dead. You know, how often have my kids said that? How often have I said that? This anger that wells up on us. And Jesus says, that's actually the same, that goes to the same place. That's where murder comes from. Um, and, and the Bible says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defy many. There, what happens when we get angry with something, someone, we start developing a bitterness towards them. We can't stand them anymore. We don't want to be around them. We don't want to talk to them. We despise them. We hear that they're going to an event. We go to a different event. I'm not going there. So-and-so is going to be there. And all of that is a bitter root. And it poisons who we are. It poisons who we are in Christ. See, the Bible says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Christian lives by the Spirit. They don't live by the flesh. The flesh is prone to anger and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But by the Spirit, we put that to death. The Bible, John writes, he writes, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Do you ever have hatred towards someone? It just angers you. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stubble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know what they're, where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. You know, when someone becomes a Christian, their behavior changes. This is why we don't focus that much on this law. Don't murder. Don't, even the Christ's new commandment, don't be angry. We don't need to focus on that. What do we need to focus on? Is Jesus Christ's power in a life to change a life. And so if you're struggling with anger, with hatred, God says, turn it over to me. Invite me to come in and, and act my righteousness out in you. I remember when... I'm not going to tell you which of one of my sons, but one of my sons, when he was very young, younger than three years old, would get extremely angry sometimes. And he would actually throw himself onto the ground and kicking and screaming and pounding on the ground. You would never believe which son that was. <laughs> you would go like, what, really? Because one day... While this was happening once in a while, one day I asked this son uh, which Bible story he'd like me. So every night before bed, I would bring the, the children's Bible and I'd open it up and I'd say, which story would you like me to tell? And every night he'd open it up to a different story and I'd re I wouldn't actually read the story. It was in King James, so I, I just told the story because I pretty much know all the Bible stories. So I told the story, and he would say, okay, and then the next day he'd choose a different one, and the next day a different one. Well, one day, he pointed to the, the picture of Christ dying on the cross. 
And I shared the story of Christ dying on the cross. The next day, he did something he never did before. He asked for the same story. I thought, well, that's weird. I said, we read that yesterday. And he said, no, I want to hear it again. Okay. So I told the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Third day, he chooses the same picture again. He's three years old, okay? He's not very old. And I'm like, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is telling me, you haven't got it yet? He wants to become a believer. And I'm like, oh, he's kind of young, you know? And I explain the way of salvation to him. And he prays and receives Christ into his heart that day. I've never seen him angry since. Never. Never. Never had another temper tantrum at three years old. Never have I seen him angry. It's, It's a miracle. You don't change the behavior of a child just like that. It doesn't happen. Yes, it does. God does it. And God comes in to lives and changes them and makes them whole. You know, some people say, well, you know, if, if, uh, if God's going to forgive me anyways, why can't I just have an abortion? It'll solve a lot of issues in my life. If God's going to forgive me anyways, why can't I be angry with my brother? If God's going to forgive me anyways, it doesn't really matter if I call someone an idiot or moron or whatever, because God's going to forgive me anyways. Well, the people you love, do you just hurt them on purpose? Because that's what you do. When you go against God. This is the last verse I want to share with you this morning. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Whom, for whom, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Along with every form of malice. Why? Why are we supposed to do that? So we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about the the Spirit of God having emotions? God made us with emotions. God has emotions. And when we uh, sin by, by having bitterness, slander, anger, brawling, murder, any of these things, we grieve Him. He's hurt by that. Rather, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Next time you get feel that anger rising in you, remember that it's not a, not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is a fruit of the evil one. That is a fruit of your sinful nature trying to rear its ugly head. You have a new nature. And you can tell this old nature to be gone. I'm done with that nature. That's not me anymore. Now God reigns in me. And he doesn't make me angry. He doesn't allow me to do temper tantrums anymore. And so, this is really the gospel message. It's to come and change us. And so I'd like us to just bow in prayer at this time. And uh, if you've been struggling with, with anger, you've been struggling with uh, just that, that sinful nature, maybe it's some other thing that you're struggling with, 
But just confess it to God in, in the quietness of this time. And God says he's faithful and just. Maybe you've had an abortion. God says he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I confess that I am prone to these human emotions of anger and bitterness, malice, brawling, rage. Lord, these things are part of our sinful nature, and we just confess them to you, Lord. We ask that you would rid our life of them. Lord, we look to the cross where you died for our sins, and we ask you, Lord, to apply your blood to our lives, to wash us and make us clean. Lord, I pray particularly for those who have had an abortion, Lord. We just ask that you would renew their hope in you and that they would experience the great grace of God. Lord, that you do miracles. You cleanse us of all unrighteousness and you make us holy, saints of the living God. Lord, the Apostle Paul considered himself the worst of all, but Lord, he found that forgiveness in you uh, because he, he also uh, approved of S- Stephen's death. And yet, Lord, you forgave him and washed away his sins. And he was so grateful. And so, Lord, we come with that in mind, and we just ask, Lord, that you would wash away our sins. Lord, wash away our, our uh, sorrow and our guilt. Lord, take it away. We offer ourselves, Lord, as living sacrifices to to you for the rest of our days. And we ask, Lord, that you would now fill us with your Holy Spirit to make us a new kind of people serving you with our whole hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.